host, Keith Sarlos with Sarlos and Sons. And this is a little segment we call Finish the Bottle. And we kind of turn the tables a little bit. We meet so many amazing people that come through the tasting room. And they start off by not knowing who we are. And then one day coming through the tasting room, uh, we get to know you. Acquaintances become friends and friends become family. And that's pretty much what this show is about. We take a little minute and talk with people that have found our little place somehow find out how they found us, and talk about the relationship we forged after that. So today, we have my now buddy, Craig. Say hello, Craig. Hello, everyone. And uh, he sent me a little email, uh, Keith at sarlosandsons.com, and says, hey, uh, I got an idea. I want to talk to you. So I don't really know any idea of where this is going today. But Craig said, hey, man, just tee this up, knock it out, and uh, I'm taking over. So Craig, tell me a little bit about yourself, where we can find you, and uh, how we met, man. Take it away. All right. Well, as uh, most of you guys know or don't know about Keith is what what he puts out there on Instagram. Um, I found the Sarlos Instagram through mutual people that we knew that had posted, you know, just something random about um, their wine. And, you know, I'm not a huge wine snob or know much about wine, but I like wine and I like stories. That's perfect. That's Hey, remember, just if you like wine is a billion times more important than if you're a snob or you think you know what you're talking about. So you're way ahead of the game on that one. And that's how and that's how this relationship came to be, I guess. So started following Keith on Instagram, showing my wife like, hey, this guy's writing some stuff that makes me feel like I'm writing garbage. And I post a great (laughs) or something and I'm like, beautiful tree. And so it kind of started this joke of my wife's like, this is kind of stuff you say, like you should start doing it. So I almost started emulating your Instagram of like, I got to step my game up and put some awesome. So very long cool. story short, we looked online about the wine and I'm up here in Northern Nevada and, um, you know, we didn't even know that wine was in Los Olivos for the most part. I'd seen sideways, um, loved the movie, thought, man, there's a wine country down there and kind of forgot about it. So through your Instagram, started doing some research and looked at the wine club memberships and we knew we were going to plan something for my 40th birthday. So we decided to get some friends together and come down to Los Livos and hit Sarlos up. And I'm like, if we're going to go to the, the winery, we should probably be members. I mean, we like what Keith's doing and the wine can't be that bad. And if it is, we'll just cancel our membership after we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, That's perfectly okay with me. That's great. Well, so we sign up for the lowest level three bottle club. And I, my wife, I made the mistake of showing my wife and she goes, well, what about this high level, the highest level, the family, you get a sign at the vineyard. And so I'm like, well, you get a sign. She goes, but look at the deal. And to be honest, for everybody that's listening, that if you look at the website and it says that you pay whatever amount it is for the wine memberships, but you get so much more in value. And once we got the first shipment and we looked at sale price of wine, which we're going to get back to while we interview Keith, we realized that we're actually just not getting Sarlo's table wine for our membership for this month because they, they have an overstock of it. Um, and we're not just getting random crap. We're getting stuff that you know you guys put your heart and soul into. And we just kind of looked at this investment and we literally made the trip to Los Olivos. And I think the week before we went, we got our first shipment and actually tasted the first bottle of wine from our membership like three days before we got to Los Olivos. So we walked in. Now that, now that is a leap of faith, man. That's awesome. 
and that, you know, and that was just one of those things, like I said, there's always an exit strategy, right? I could always say, Hey, I lost my job. I can't do this, whatever. And BS my way out of it. But we walked into the tasting room and I think we met Brad first and he's like, you're Craig. I'm like, yeah, I was kind of hung over from the night before. And it's like, man, this is a, you know, I got a lot of eggs in this basket. And he's like, you join the wine club without tasting the wine. Like you got to have faith in something. And then we end up going in the back room with you. And I think we spent a long time back there. Cause I actually went across the street to get water bottles halfway through. Um, <laughs> and we just kind of sat there and all my friends, we ended up telling jokes that would never be repeated on a podcast that our parents would listen to. Um, and we just had a great time. So, you know, anybody that's out there that, you know, wants to do a tasting, get it set up and do it. It's worth the time. It's worth the experience. Jeez. Um, this is unsolicited, by the way, man. Let's make this, I, I, this will I can't, this. I can't not smile right now. That that's like the greatest thing I've ever heard. I mean, well, that brings it, a tear to my eye. Thanks. Well, man. that's the thing. I mean, it's the it's the ass kiss rodeo part of the podcast, but you know, and, and it's, <laughs> it's I mean, but that's. I mean, we could go into depth about your nice relationship, but we met that day, and I think I think I probably Instagram messenger or something about a question I had, and you got right back to me. And it was probably six months in. I'm like, dude, I just need your cell phone number because I got enough questions and we're coming back down. And, you know, and that's how we started, started this relationship. And what happened with this podcast was I heard your, one of the podcasts with Levi and I texted him like, Hey man, I've got more questions. Like I got an idea. Like if I know a lot about you, I don't think I know anything about you. And I know, I mean, I got a good, good background, but you know, you talk a little bit about your history and, and how you got here and that, you know, Sarlis wasn't, we're apple farmers and, the apples weren't working. We went to wine, but there's, I feel like there's a story behind you that I think is really interesting to a lot of people because for myself and I know my friends that we talk to, it's like, man, that's gotta be great. Like, I mean, you're in the dirt, you're making wine, you're doing the tastings and you know, it's not, it's not a, uh, the fantasy, but that's the fantasy the part, fantasy part but, but it's real and you don't really complain about it. I'm sure there's terrible days, but you know, my, my idea, and we'll get this started is I wanted to get a better idea of who who Keith is, how we got to where we are, and then we're going to do a little rapid fire question at the end. But you know what I'd like to know is, yeah, go. You know, you're born and raised in Southern California, is what what we know. Yep. Um, yep. You talked about Bellflower, California. Bellflower, California, yep. and which is a quarter mile away from where my dad was raised. He was raised in a house on Park Street, and we were on California Avenue, about a quarter mile away. So your dad leaves for Los Olivos to go be a farmer. So, so here's the rundown. So we, uh, we had a family business that, um, became a family business. My grandfather made his way from Iowa to California, built Liberty ships during the war and got a job at a place called, uh, Ezel laboratories. And it was a full-blown lab that had a retail component because they were in what was known as Dairy Valley. And Dairy Valley is basically Bellflower, Norwalk, Cerritos, Artesia. And my grandfather, you know, never could, he left his family farm um, in Iowa when his older brother left for the war. My great grandmother remarried. He made his way to California and he got, he never owned his own farm, but he was in dairy country and we're a Dutch family. And, and most of that area, Cerritos, Bellflower, Artesia, Norwalk is uh, Dutch and Portuguese, both dairies. And my grandpa got a job. He uh, was a hardworking guy. He was just working there and worked on Saturdays, hosing down, just pride in, you know, ownership. It, even if, you know, ownership is uh, you work at a place you like. 
and people trusted him and worked hard. And my grandfather, by leaving that family farm at a young age, I did, he never got to the point where um, it was it was something tedious and hard and a burden. He left while that was still beautiful. And that has translated into something I've kind of noticed where, you know, what, whatever dad is in love with, uh, somehow you fall in love with it too. And my grandfather was in love with farming and dairies and cattle and ranches and had a picture in his uh, workshop that I, I literally tore off the wall, just like everything else we have. And we framed it and it says, it says Sarlo's dream ranch. And it was just there forever. And it was just something that soaked into, I think all of our collective psyches all at the same time. And that was the dream. The dream was to own, own some land and have your space to a certain extent. And, um, that business grew. My dad and my uncle worked there, grew it again. And there's a, another great story in there with, with, uh, a competitor that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it. My dad fronted a guy up North in a, the exact same business as us, like literally fronted a guy right. and, uh, bought stuff for him. He paid my dad and the trucks went to that guy to help him out and help him get started. And I said, I think that says a lot about who my dad is and that come that the deal was you'll never come South. We'll never go North. And we kind of had this really, you know, nice line between it. Um, anyway, long story short, that company went big and public and they tried to buy our, our business because the, you know, stockholders said, why aren't you in Southern California? And, you know, he has a fiduciary responsibility and uh, that was kind of the family jewel. And the, it fell out of, you know, them buying us once and then it came back. And the, the long story of that was, as my dad says, we had one family jewel and it was right here and we worked hard and we put everything into it. And I could talk about my dad and my upbringing there for hours, but he had a culture and he, he had a vision and he got up and worked every day for something. He had a purpose. And when we cracked that family jewel, uh, you know, dad, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Kind of a thing. He, uh, cause that's the home run, right? Every person who builds a business thinks, Oh, maybe one day I'll get bought out and then I'll do whatever I want. Right. And my dad found was driving to Paso cause he wanted a piece of property, a kind of like what it was like in Southern California when he grew up there, because it was all dairy country. And, uh, because my dad is my dad, he gets into cars with people and they say, Hey, I'm going to go look at this. And so many opportunities in his life have come because he says, yeah, why not? Let's go. I'll go with you. Hey, I'll go. Let's go. And he hopped into a car and drove onto this piece of property on Ballard Canyon that was an apple orchard and was, he was with Realtor. And the guy who owned the property was William Tanko, whose uh, aunt was Amelda Marcos. Wow. If that makes any sense. And he said, what are you doing? My dad's like, oh, I'm driving. I'm looking for a piece of property. He goes, why don't you buy this? He's like, and this was a huge piece. I mean, it went all the way to the 101 freeway. It was massive. And my dad said, I can't, I can't afford that. And uh, and by the way, this is in nine, 1990. Okay, that's um, when you, was wine when you can, growing in that area yet? Yeah, there was one vineyard on our street. One was getting planted. Um, but it wasn't, it isn't what it is now. It was definitely, you, you grew grapes to sell it to other companies. Yeah. And, um, 
he said, you know, I just decided today to cut the property up. This is what I want for this. And my dad goes, I think I can make that work. And boom, you know, he was growing something from the ground and raising cattle. And I think that was him. My grandpa was still alive. And to kind of cap off this story, um, my, I'm going to say something that says a lot about my grandpa. My grandma had passed and my grand, my dad drove his father up to see this piece of property. Right. And they're standing on the, the back corner of my dad's driveway, kind of overlooking this thing. And my dad just says, dad, why didn't you ever do this? You could have done this a million times. Um, why didn't you ever, you know, say, Hey boys, business is going good. You guys are in charge, ready to roll. Cause my grandpa kept coming in, opening mail till, you know, right. uh, to the end. And, and my grandpa turned to my dad and said, I was too busy raising you boys. And my dad said, dad, we're, you know, we're in our forties and fifties. Um, come on, you could. And he said, you know, I, I was raising you boys. That was my grandpa's, uh, my grandpa was yeah set in his ways, but he wanted to be with his sons and he never wanted to go and run off and pursue his dream, uh, with, and not be around, um, his boys, I guess. And, uh, and a, a big part of that is, you know, my dad wanted to do that because of his dad and, I wanted to live here because I wanted my kids to grow up near my folks. And hold on, hold on. Uh, don't pull cool ahead of here. Oh, all right, all right. So there, there you go. This is I'll 19- try to chop these down. You said this is nineteen ninety, right? So you're still in high no nineteen ninety, no nineteen ninety eight, ninety eight. So mm-hmm. which so is that when you say Sarlos and Sons Winery or business started? No, uh, Sarlos and Sons, the name started when we had a little wine left over in 2003 mm-hmm. and we were still growing all of our grapes and just selling all of them. And we had a little wine left over for us. All the contracts were fulfilled. We made that wine and I designed the label on illustrate, uh, not on illustrator on Microsoft word right. with a picture that was hanging in my parents' house and my, what are we going to call it? You know, like even our ranch dad, Keith, what are we going to call this place? I'm like, ah, we're Dutch windmill, windmill ranch. And, um, you know, Sarlson sons was kind of, the, um, it's a, it's a plumbing company name. It's a, uh, you know, an extermination business. <laughs> um, it's not a winery because, and I think the reason we like the name and, you know, mom, pretty much mom liked the name, you know, and, and, and when that happens, it's done. Um, it, uh, it was multi-generational, you know, it could have been my great grandpa and his sons. It could have been my grandpa and his sons. It could be my dad and me and my brother. It could yeah. be, you know, my kids. There's no one Sarlos. Like if I say Mondavi, there is a Mondavi. It's the honor it's, and it's the prepare. Yeah. That is, that's exactly what it is. All right. So when that's kind of when it's, that's when it started, but it was, it wasn't really anything more than, Hey, check this out. And that's all it was. And, you know, fast forward, it, it really did mean a lot. And it was one of those serendipitous things like my dad getting in the car and the apples being bad. It was, everything was just pushing us into this direction. So when you say us, when you were in high school, what'd you think you were going to be when you grew up? You know, I was, uh, 
I think a bit of a serial entrepreneur when I was in you know high school and college. I was always trying to make something. And I think most of that comes from growing up where and around people um, I grew up around where, you know, your, your dad could be a truck driver, but that's an honorable profession, you know, owns his own business, gets up, works hard. And you could be uh, own a dairy. You could own anything. I, I knew I would be at the helm of something. Um, I didn't know what it was. I had a snowboard company. I had a little clothing company. I had a bunch of different, you know, vending machines. I had, all kinds of little side hustles all over the place. And that was just, that was life, man. You got up and got to work and made some money. And, and I, you know, I went on a lot of dates with rolls of quarters because that's how I was making money on a Pepsi machine and putting gas in trucks. And that's what I paid with. Right. So I mentioned to you, I asked a couple people for some, some questions that they might have yeah. or, <laughs> For you, and um, this is, I'm, I'm most nervous about well, this. But no, it's a, not bad. But someone responded and yeah. said to ask about the high school talent show. Oh, really? What you and your friends might have done to Christmas trees. I don't know if you want to tell that story because I feel like I've heard the story. But um, if, if you want to so, uh, truncate it or tell the whole thing, okay. The truncated well, part is I like time. I like a lot of pranks. I'm I'm big on that, and uh, senior pranks were pretty big in our school. And, um, uh, like, you know, we made a lake in the middle of our quad. We've done, uh, you know, normal shaving cream kind of stuff going egging, geefing, which was really fun, which is you get those old metal, uh, the big ones, they're like, you know, four gallons. Um, you take them, you empty them, you fill them with water and then you pressurize them and pull up next to the car and Hey, roll down your window and, you know, geef them. And it was always people like it, it was very American graffiti. I think that was that was the big part of it. I mean, my friends that we had our little, you know, clique, a lot of what we were into was like Endless Summer, like the original one right. and old surf movies and things where it was like, oh, my gosh, look at these guys. You know, it was all good, clean fun. But like Big Wednesday is another one. Um, big Wednesday. And yes. Big Wednesday, one of the best movies ever made. I love that movie. Um, it, it, yeah, if anybody hasn't seen the movie Big Wednesday, it was written by Milas or Milas, who wrote the the speech on Jaws, and he wrote uh, Conan the Barbarian, and he wrote. Um, uh, he was like real good buddies with Spielberg and Lucas, and he did a lot of writing for him. Anyway, it's a great movie. It's about the passage of time and how friends go surfing, and they can always kind of go back to that. Um, but. So for a talent show, we, they were, they kind of begged us, you know, one of our teachers goes, you got to be in it. If you guys are in it, then everybody will be in it too. And, uh, we said, okay, but you know, we're going to do a Gallagher act. And he's like, whatever. And didn't even care. And it turned into us spending a bunch of money buying like yogurt and mustard and milk and just everything we could think of. And my buddy, Jeremy DeBee, who uh, became a Navy SEAL, <laughs> which that says a lot, another big part of our group, uh, basically said um, he did a magic trick and said, hey, uh, my protégés, you know, can make things disappear, but have a hard time making it reappear. And so all the lights with went off, just death metal and strobe lights went on. And we just proceeded to have friends hold doors closed and, and worse and started smashing everything and it hit the back wall of the auditorium and 
to pay for it. We had to throw a party and charge five bucks. And then we called the cops on our own party. And then uh, we had to pay for all these huge curtains. And uh, then we had our senior trip and we had a bunch of money from this party. So that's the real truncated story. And there might be some some real arson involved with burning Christmas trees. I'm not going to say that's gonna, <laughs> yes or no. Um, but we did a lot of stuff like that. And we did a lot of stuff like that because that's, I think that's the era we were always stoked about, you know, um, when uh, you could drag race your car down, down a street. And, you know, my dad and his buddies used to go to LAX and they had a Plymouth Fury, which was looked like a cop car. And they would go to LAX and uh, prank people. I, I probably shouldn't tell this story. Um, but it involved impersonating policemen and a starter gun and everything else. So You might want to um, have your dad on the show. And, and Yeah, I need to have my dad tell that story. It's, it's a classic. And I think that was something we were kind of like living up to. It was like... Uh, you know, um, my kids could never get away with anything I could get away with. And we kind of had that beautiful window and, you know, I always had an alibi. I had a girlfriend she went down to Huntington beach and bought something with my mom's credit card and signed my name a million times until she could nail it. And when I got pulled in the principal's office, I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, I have this. And I would slide the receipt with my signature and time stamped. And, uh, you know, that principal was still was my parents principal when they were there. So kind of got out of it. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I think I had a pretty, you know, most people hate high school and I know why, but I, I grew, I pretty much my entire class was the same kids I went to preschool with. That's cool. It was just shrugging along. Yeah. So who told you to ask that one, by the way, you got to divulge that. Uh, I'll tell you later. All right, all right. She was, she was really quick to respond, though. Okay. Um, so, can't somebody else said, and this is something that my wife and I like to do now when we go out to dinner with friends, with couples. Yeah. And I always thought this would be a question if we ever had the pleasure of having dinner with Heather and yourself to ask. But I'm told that you love this story, but I don't know if we have if it's going to take another 40 minutes to tell it. But you know, Heather is oh. most everybody knows is <laughs> your wife. Um, yeah. And not on social media a lot. A lot of times you post something nope. saying, look now because she's probably going to make me delete it. Yeah, uh, that's kind of a two-parter. One of them is how how hard is it to toe that line? I'm kind of the same way. Like I'll put all kinds of stuff out there um, and then kind of think later like, man, maybe I should have my wife prove that one or something. But, you know, you're, you're out there on social media promoting your brand, promoting your family. Um, and she really isn't. And, you know, two parts, how does that work for you? But I think first okay. is, you met her. Um, you met well, her. let me answer that first before yeah. you next ask the Go next ahead. one. Um, you know, I, a long time ago, I realized that if I was going to live, uh, I'm going to live all the way out there, I guess is a good way to put it. And I think that comes across in some of the stuff I post. And I, I think the truth of the stuff I post is um, – I'm living my life and I'm, I'm just letting people watch, right. you know, and that's it that there's no, I'm thinking about this or crafting, you know, things. It's no, there's no devious hand ringing. It's just like, this is it. And I kind of, I very much want to leave a digital footprint for my kids. Right. 
and I have ways that I back all this stuff up and, and I want them to be able to read it because people go, oh, please write a book. And my response is, this is the book, right. you know? And the stuff with my wife is, it's not that my wife is shy because she's not a shy person. Um, my wife is very much, um, how should I say it? A lot of people put their stuff out there because they want people to see what they're doing. I right. mean, like Coachella or f- selfies or kissy faces. Right. A- and they're promoting themselves and they want to get that serotonin boost back of, ooh, look, people liked my kiss face, yep. right? Or dressing sexy or something. And one of the things I love that I I love about my wife, and I think that if when people see my wife – and they see, you know, how beautiful she is and how well put together and just everything that conjures a thing in their head of like who they think she is. And my wife's beauty is probably the least interesting thing about her. And it's if I would rate importance, it would it would be next to the bottom of the list. Right. And one of the things because social of social media and things is my wife is endlessly talented. She is uh, driven to possession. And what I mean by that is she doesn't do anything halfway. She'll, she'll do things for 23 hours straight. Well, I think case in point would be the, uh, the vineyard day. Yeah. So the vineyard, I mean, case in point, we, she was out there till one in the morning. Yeah, I made the the tables come out there and help her. And you said she would have probably not let me in if I did. Yeah, she wouldn't. And but she will sit there and make sure the tables are perfectly straight, not OCD. But then there's just a there's a there is a um, inevitable perfection or inevitable beauty to things. And my my wife's job is to find it. And she doesn't promote herself really ever. Um, and I think the, the people that do get to know her, uh, it's very special because she doesn't need it, it, which is an amazing, like if you think about just confidence and poise and grace, not to need that little, like, Hey, I like you thing. Um, she's not egotistical. It's not a, it's not a place of, um, uh, above you it's not it's nothing like that what it really is is it's like a painter walking into a room to because there's a painting inside of them they need to get out and they don't leave until it's done and most people just like when you were talking about you know seeing the fantasy most people want to post that or show people what they did and and hang it on a wall because their their real fantasy is having people admire them and tell them they're great while they're in a fancy uh, like museum or their art selling for a million dollars. But the people I love and I've always loved are the people that finish that painting, even though it's a masterpiece and, and lean it in the corner of the room. And that because their, their fantasy was painting the painting. It had very little to do with the adulation and what, what 99% of people I believe usually um, want out of life. They want to be loved and remembered and admired, but to get to those things, it usually has to be, it's, 
it's climbing through shit. It's the Andy Dufresne of freedom, right? And and the the people, especially my wife, that I'm amazingly drawn to, and my mom is that like this as well. Is they're doing it for themselves, and the people they let in, they will do anything, and I mean anything for. And it's it's much more selfless and much more artistic. And yeah, I knew I was going to marry her. Jeez, the day I saw her. Well, and we'll get to. I'll just say from from my standpoint, yeah. I had the the opportunity to meet her at Vineyard Day this last year. And mm-hmm. some people might have saw the. Uh, there was only one one guy and his wife there wearing shirts with your face <laughs> on it. Which, which, which I secret, was, which publicly I admonish and secretly love. Right, we thought it was the funniest thing ever, and it, it went back and forth for like a month prior. And I'm like, I think it's funny. We, I got the shirts. Yeah, I, like, I can't do this. I'm like, I think it's great. I, don't, I mean, and it's one of those things. Not that I don't care what people think, but if you laugh at it, then it's going to be good. So we go yeah. to we go to Vineyard Day, and we walk in. We have sweatshirts on, so and I see Heather, and I'm like, Hey, there's Keith's wife. I want to go introduce myself. And we had met her once briefly at, at the bar downtown one day but i'm like hey i just want to go you know say hello and she's like no leave her alone she's working because we had seen you the night before saying how stressed she was i'm like all right well then i got hot and i took my t-shirt or my sweatshirt off so i'm walking around with your big head on my chest and she walks right by me and looks at the shirt i'm like hey i'm craig and i was completely intimidated to talk to her for some reason one because i had her husband's picture on my chest and two my wife had the same thing and she was mortified at this point <laughs> like this joke went too far i can't believe we have to do this no it's never not far enough yeah exactly well that's what i say now i mean then it was tough yeah right heather was as sweet as can be and you know so very nice but still like she was looking over my shoulder making sure things were still set up for the for the day and you know but i I can attest like we got to see her that night as well and and super super sweet which you know brought me to asking about you know she doesn't have to be out there i guess as much and no and like right now she's designing two houses and she kept telling everybody no for years and you know for the last year and um and now that she's pulled back in i mean she doesn't have a website she has posted you know mostly horrible kid pictures on instagram doesn't have a facebook and uh, if you need her, you know how to get a hold of her. And that's that's my wife, which is unreal. So do you want to quickly tell how you met her? Yeah, sure. Um, I met her in a parking lot. And uh, my my good friend, Cliff Chasen, who will probably be on this show sometime, uh, he graduated college. I was, you know, I always ran with a little bit older crowd. And he's like, hey, man, find your wife here. Or at school. And I said, well, why is that? He goes, well, there's so many and you're so close. And, you know, once you get out of here, the the life changes, man. And uh, okay. I said, yeah, okay. Got it. You know, just kind of blew it off a little bit. And then the first day of uh, my junior year, I saw this girl walking across the parking lot and, a you know, kind of a punk at this point. And I was skateboarding and came up next to her and a couple of my friends are like, oh, hey what's your name kind of a thing. And she's like, Heather. And she kind of said it, you know, the way you would say it to any guy who like holler, literally hollers at you. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't have, you know, you don't have to be a bitch about it kind of a thing. And, and right there, she kind of like smiled a little bit. And, um, I, you know, I smiled back huge and 
the the fast forward of that, she had a boyfriend, um, you know, a really great guy that like, I like to say the world's greatest placeholder. And, um, you know, we fast forward a little bit more and we were kind of hanging out in the same circles, but you know, nobody's making any moves on this girl cause she's kind of off the market. And, uh, I saw her one day, she was walking down the street at buddies, my car I pulled over, I shoved him out. I pulled up forward and I said, Hey, how's it going? She's like, Hey, what's up, Keith? Cause we kind of knew each other at this point. I said, Hey, I got to go down and pick some stuff up and come back. It's an hour. And, um, if you go, if you come with me, do you want to go? And she's like, no, not really. And I said, I'll tell you what, you can ask me anything you want. I'll tell you the absolute truth and you could get to know me or not. And she goes, okay. And hopped in. And right then I, I knew she was the person I thought she was and she got in and the, the long story of that is, you know, one hour turned into all night, you know, she had a boyfriend still. So, uh, you know, that night you, you get, you're so deep in college. Right. And, and we were walking down second street in long beach where we eventually bought a home. And I said, Hey, you know, we were talking earlier. I said, listen, I don't, I don't want you to be, I don't want to be your friend. Hmm. I have enough friends. And I kind of threw it out and we were walking down somewhere else and she will, you know, admit this now, but she knew I was the guy she was going to marry that night and went home. I said, listen, um, oops, can you hear me? Yep. That got weird. Um, I said, listen, you can, um, uh, you can't call me until you, you know, break up with this guy that you're with. And she said, really? I said, yeah, we can't talk. We can't hang out. We can't nothing. And within three days, she broke up with them and called me and, um, I met her folks like that night and her parents were crying cause this guy was a part of her life the whole time. Well, and, uh, when they met you. say that again. I thought you were going to try when they met you. Yeah, mostly. I mean, they should have. And, uh, the long and the short of it was, that was it. We dated for a year, engaged a year. And now we're going to have our 20th year anniversary on December 11th. And that is the story of how I met my wife. <laughs> Perfect. So you guys moved to Los Olivos. Yeah. And 2003, we'll fast forward to the to the winery okay. uh, portion of this this day. Yeah. Um, what uh, 2003? Let's say the the wine the winery starts. Is that when you decide that you want to do this as a as a business, or are you still oh. just selling grapes? Oh, uh, still just selling grapes. Okay. And a big portion of that was. Uh, you know, I had no wine training. I have no idea what I'm doing. And we knew we wanted to live here, which, you know, was kind of the end goal. And I think a lot of people feel that way after they come here. And uh, we had a coffee shop here. And when my, my when my wife became pregnant, we went from part-time to full-time. And I called my realtor before I called my parents. And my wife was, you know, kind of crying. She had a business down there that was successful. I, you know, we were living pretty well on second street. All of our friends were coming over and hanging out and passing out in our front yard. And, um, 
it was a great time, but it was also, you know, the next transition was you're pregnant and life is good. Life is going to change for both of us. And that was, a that was a big part of why I wanted to live here because I, I just couldn't picture teaching my kids to learn how to ride a bike on a, a sidewalk. And we wanted space. And at that point it was very much me green acreing my wife you know, like goodbye city life and, um, and closed her business. And while she was pregnant, moved up here and, you know, finished up a barn and, uh, um, you know, made this. Did you start working with your dad at that point? Yeah. I mean, no, no, no. Cause we, it was just, the vineyard was the vineyard, but you know, we had to pick the grapes and sell them and things like that. And I I was like, I'll, I'll do that. No problem. And you quit every other job and just started doing that at this point. A hundred percent. My life was, my life was done okay. and moved up here and ran a coffee shop and a coffee shop became two. And then, um, you know, we weren't making it and, and, uh, the place the tasting room is now was a day spa. We bought that from Fess Parker, had to go through a bunch of stuff with that. And, um, you know, when cash was on his way, my wife was pregnant and I'm like, you know, the wine we made in, yeah, 2004 or 2005, 2005, and that 2003, I was selling off the back of my truck and it was paying, it was a song, you know, cases for cash. And it was the only thing that really kept us afloat. So did you have somebody help you make the wine? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you just, hooked up with somebody down there that helped you. Yeah, It's like custom crush at that point where you're, you know, you have the grapes, you're bringing it in, the process happens, boom, you got your wine. And, but it's very, it's rare that you actually own the property you're growing the grapes on because you really, you're a farmer more than you're a winemaker and winemakers, whenever they start farming, it's always the death of them because they didn't understand how hard and like tonight we're going to be up all night and, probably tomorrow night too, because we're going to have clear skies and possible frost and it's bud break and you're up there, you know, waiting for it. And it's beautiful. But once again, it's, it's painting the picture in the garage versus most people want to stand on stage. Right. So when do you, when do you think the wine started? And what did you, the question is, yeah, well, it's a basic question. Five and 10 year goals when you started, did oh. you get those? Did, what was your thought after that first? And I think this is on the website about selling the wine too, but yeah, what was your thought when you said, shit, we're going to start selling wine. What did you think the end game was going to be at that point? I still don't know. And for me, um, do I love wine? The answer is yes, but I don't like wine the same way you like wine. And most people get into wine because they love drinking it. They want to be a part of this world. It's like loving music and wanting to play the guitar. Right. And we were much more, the apples are a failure. We need to take that out, burn it and start over. Um, you, your daughter got you here. You had a couple coffee shops and a spa, but you're, you're going broke fast. 
and you're you've always expected to be a winner and you're not you're a loser and so i think a lot of it came from desperation and desperation of uh uh of not going out like that right and being held underwater like you're going to drown and you have to breathe. And so the first couple of years, um, I was sitting here by myself like seven days a week for the first like four years, every day. Just pouring for whoever comes through town. Anybody. Right. I don't care. I don't care who you are. And I think that was the greatest, most humbling, uh, part of, of my life more than anything, more than anything. I had to go through whatever I had to go through, um, because I had nothing and I had nothing left. I, I was, you know, I was at that point like horrible, you know, where I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, you'd be better off with someone else. Mm -hmm. I, you know, everything I promised you, I, I'm not going to be able to deliver. I have a child. I have another one on the way. I mean, it, it was like, it's, um, Hemingway-esque, you know, you're, you're just, the gun is pointed at you and this had to work. It just had to. And I think everything that it was just nothing but tension and pulling back. And, um, you know, my dad and my uncle bought another piece of property that had a bunch of grapes on. I didn't really even know what I was doing. And I was like, we should plant these varietals because we tore that whole vineyard out and replanted it, which is another insane thing to do. And at that point, I'm, I'll sell it. I'll, I'll sell the grapes. And it was just, you know, bless this hustle is a real thing because right. I don't, I'm not good at anything and I'm not good at this, but I had to be. And so I will at this, you know, truthfully, um, we're going down to LA and we're going to pour it silver like wine. We're going to do that because they found us when we had one wine and said it was good. Right. And I will owe them for the rest of my life. I will go down there every year for 50 years and sweat my brains out and beg people to buy wine because they, they were a little lifeboat at a time that we needed it. And, um, and I, I don't forget that stuff. I just don't. And it's why I still work seven days a week and I, you know, pour for tons and tons of groups, you know, like 10 last Saturday and we'll stand outside for 50 people and I'll, you know, pour my heart and soul into whatever we're doing and talk about and make labels with my grandparents and, and all that stuff because I know it's not me. It's really not about me at all. I I can't believe I get to do this. and. It's about my folks and my grandparents and my kids coming up and everybody else who drinks this wine with people they love and they become closer with them. That's what it's about. You know, it's, this wasn't started because I had a glass of wine and said, I want to do that. I want to replicate that. I, I need to do that. You know, for me, it was, I need to feed a family. This is the only thing I give a shit about and I will do whatever it takes to have this succeed. I mean, today we actually, I just saw it on enjoy cupcakes, Instagram. It's nine years since we've been serving wine and cupcakes, which is probably the stupidest idea anybody's ever had in wine. And, but it came from a real honest all the way place and Amber who works, you know, the baker, 
she hasn't slipped once. She keeps putting her heart and soul into it. And so do we. And I think that, um, that, uh, you know, we're too, too small to fail, I think is a good way to put it because a lot of people don't want to work their tasting room or they don't want to work the front counter at their own business. And I've scrubbed toilets and warehouses, you know, I I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll do that for the rest of my life. So in 2018, did you far exceed what you thought you'd be in 2003 or are you still under what you thought it would be? I looking from then like not financially, now, you want to be now, but yeah, like financially overall as a company, as your lifeline, as the way to pay your bills, as your future, your present, everything. Um, yeah, well, I'll say, I'll say it flat out. I can never give wine back what it has given to me. We, you and I are talking like this because of wine. Right. It's because of, you know, became friends and stuff, but, but that's what wine is. Wine is what you drink on the table and you become friends with those people, right. you know, finances and, and things like that are, uh, if that's our, if that becomes your goal, um, it'll never be enough. If, um, uh, if you, and I don't think that that is a major goal, of course, but with any business, but I want to be sustainable. Right. I want this to go for 250 years. So, so we'll, make, we'll make small ball decisions. But on the other side of it, you know what I'm most proud of? Katie Woods has been here eight years and behind the bar. You know, my two cousins are here uh, making wine and still working with me. And they're here. My kids are growing up here. My parents are here. My friends have want to live here and be around us if yeah that's that's the goal that's the fantasy that's the hard work that's the part of all of this that is is my view of heaven my view of heaven is everything i have now with no fear of losing any of it you know and i think if i say as a business i'm i'm proud of what we're doing the girls here are super happy the guys here are pretty happy and I get to shake hands and make new friends all the time with people who drink our wine at their wedding. Right. You know, how can you not love that? How can, how is that not the greatest thing you've ever heard in your life? You know, when I was a kid, that home run was growing a business and selling it. Right. And what I've come to realize is home runs are not things that go over the field. The home run is I get to continue to play the game. Right. My brother continues to be involved in baseball and win and put his heart and soul into it in the same passion that he has when I saw him when he was nine. And I think that's the thing from, you know, the birthright or whatever that's been kind of handed down. I can't believe we get to do this. And uh, if I can feed my family and do everything and, and also be a positive impact on people because of what I do. That's it. That's all. That's all I think anybody could ever want in their life. Yeah. What What do you think the future holds, or what do you hope it holds for the business? Hmm. I don't know. I don't want to be big at all. I want people to continue to come in and love what we do and taste our wines and look at the labels and hear our stories and identify themselves with them. I want people to. 
when they take a sip of our wine, be transported back here or with people that were, they were with when they drank it. Um, I want the communion of what we make uh, become stronger. I don't, I don't want to do big events anymore here. You know, uh, what I like is the, the stuff that leads to this. And that's what our wine is. I don't, I don't give a shit about points. The points are ridiculous. How can you put what we just talked about in a, in a point score? Right. Right. That's a, that's a joke. What I want is people to be affected by it, you know? And so from a business, I don't want to be a big winery. I don't want to be one that everybody's ever heard of. I don't want to be one on grocery store shelves. I want to continue to make more every year and sell out without selling out. Gotcha. And it's, it's, it is interesting because when I talk to people or, you know, we bring your wine almost exclusively when we go um, because we have a pretty good amount of it, but, but it's a good story, <laughs> you know? And I'll tell them like, Hey, this is my friend's winery. Like your friend. I'm like, man, I know it sounds so weird when I say it too sometimes. And then we get in the story, like my birthday, going to the tasting room, Instagram, yeah. random text messages. And then my wife's like, are you, are you talking to Keith? I'm like, she's like, leave him alone. I'm like, he texted me. Like this isn't, you know, and it just became this thing where it's like our friend owns a winery in Los Olivos. Yeah. Like, and so I think that. But that's how you make friends when you're an adult. Well, no, exactly. And I think that your story is somewhat, is gets lost on people sometimes because they say, well, can I get this wine at Trader Joe's? Can I get it at Total Wine? I'm like, no, you can get it online though, or let me know and I'll, you know, I'll get you a bottle or I'll give you one of mine yeah. if you like it, you know. Email down there and get something. It's how it's worked. We've got a you know a couple friends that have joined the club because yeah. we brought the wine enough times. And it's like I'm just going to join. I don't want to keep drinking yours. I'm like perfect, and we'll all go down there together. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll oh. go in, and, and I think it's been great because I think there's you know for me I've learned a little bit more about you, and I mean there's a million more layers of this onion I think we get into, but um, I've got a whole list of kind of all wine right. So this is going to be a little bit more, not rapid fire, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go through them and some of them don't make sense. Some of them do. Okay. Uh, but I'll try to, I'll try to be short winded. How about that? I'll cut you off if you're not. Perfect. But uh, do you believe in conspiracies? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I well, think, well, I think anytime you get, no one ever gets the full picture unless you were there. Right. And I think, um, uh, Control is is something that we, you know, if we look back in history, control is something that people want over other people. And sometimes that's financial, sometimes that's hearts and minds, sometimes that's, you know, whatever. But I think most people will say whatever they have to say in order to achieve their goal. And I think that's a sad thing, but I don't, you know, I've my bullshit detector goes off a lot more than it used to. <laughs> Um, is the earth flat or round? Round. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure you're not Just double, double check. That's the, that's the, uh, um, uh, the test to see if I'm a computer or not. Yeah. That's, that's just making sure it wasn't on record. Yeah. Um, what's the craziest thing that the wine or winery has afforded you so far? Not financially. Um, but in general, I mean, I, I, I think you've talked about on a podcast that you officiated a wedding in Hawaii. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what do you think you can't, this happened because of the wine. And oh, that's easy. Happened because of that. I think that's easy. Um, I think the best thing that's happened is uh, the, the friendships. And 
uh, a lot of times when you grow up, you grow up with people that are like you and they're, those are people are around you. And what I love about our kind of our living room of the tasting room is it's very public. It's every race, creed, color, uh, orientation, um, you name it, it's come through the front door. And because of our place and, you know, the way I was raised, it was like, you know, everybody's a customer. Everybody matters the most. The person that looks like they're worth a billion dollars, probably in debt. And the person that looks like he has two nickels to run together, it could be a land baron. You don't know. You right. Nobody knows. And treat everybody with dignity and respect and, and hope for the best, you know. And that has afforded not only me, but my family, my children, my parents, um, friendships with people that we may not or probably wouldn't have been friends with uh, without this place. Because if you're the, if you work in a certain type of business and you go to a country club or you go to a, a soccer field or you go to this or go to that, you're going to be around people that are interested in the same things that you are. And that's, that's easy. That's pretty much how I grew up. And now I have all kinds of friends from really diverse backgrounds with really diverse beliefs, with really diverse um, everything, but we're friends. And that's not usually how you become friends with someone. You, you become friends with someone because you have something in common with them. And I feel like my family has been invited into many circles that we wouldn't have been invited into, but that's not because of our wine. That's because I think we had a place that people wanted to go get wine or try it. And they're like, Hey, these people are cool. Yeah. You know, in both directions. And let's be friends. Do we, you know, do we become best friends? Sure. You know, and then all of a sudden our life becomes friends. This is what we do together. And I've officiated, you know, two of my best buddies wedding where they married each other, which was great. That's probably not something I would have done or got an opportunity to do without this place. I've been able to do some traveling. I've, you know, got to go to neat things and see things that I would never have seen before. But um, I think that's part of what, why we call what we do a family because everybody who's in has at least one thing that they're kind of in common about that maybe they both like us. And we've seen people, it was great. A quick story was we had uh, a guy was wearing a Sarlos and Sons hat on a flight from Minnesota to LA. And a bunch of my friends are dirtbag flat trackers and motorcycles and, you know, gnarly guys. And, and they saw this dude wearing our hat and he got, Probably twenty, like ten of them, went up, took pictures with them. Hey, man, you know Sarlo's awesome. High five and take a selfie together, and uh, po- they're posting it. Oh, Sarlo's, you're in Minnesota. What's up? You know stuff like that. And I was just laughing, looking at it. And my wife goes, "Who's the guy?" I go, "I got no clue. I have no <laughs> idea who that guy is." But he looks like he could have been an accountant, right? Yeah. So it's this big, huge dude, and he posts and he tags me, and he goes, "Well, this hat certainly got a lot of." Uh, it got me a lot of attention today and the guy got it from, you know, a friend of his or uh, a relative. He put it on. He loved it. Wore it on a plane and every tattooed guy at the X games is yelling at him. Right. right. This guy all of a sudden has an in with those guys and they can talk like, Hey, so how do you know him? Blah, blah, blah. And, 
where he could have got on that plane and go, oh my gosh, what what is getting on this plane, right? And he also got to see that those guys who look scary and you know have tattoos and are really truthfully pretty pretty gnarly guys, um, he got to see like them smile and laugh at him and take a picture with them, right? Right. How amazing is that? That's crazy. I mean, I think for me, and I texted you about this, and there was a. Uh, a certain actor on a very popular show. And I don't know if there's a backstory to it, so I'll leave it out. But I started yeah. following him on Instagram and scrolled back through his history, like, I don't know, 30 pictures. And he's wearing a Sarlo's hat. <laughs> I'm like, dude, this is like one of the biggest guys around right now. And you're like, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, and that's, yeah. just, that's just the weird breadth of, of what you do, I think, is that, you know, I've got people that follow you that I see that follow you on Instagram solely based on, me saying, hey, check this guy out. He writes some cool stuff and it's great pictures and it's great wine. And you just think like that, that circle's getting bigger for you. And, you know, yeah, a little bit. one of the yeah. questions was, is, the, is bigger always better? No. And I think, I think it's a tough answer because there's times, right? But for the one. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, we've turned down TV shows. Like when reality TV was a thing, we turned down some shows because, um, I didn't want somebody to have uh, who our family was in their hands. Right. And make us, you know, I didn't want to have big Larry and Keith yelling at each other on television. Oh, that would be a great show. Great show. But it's not, it would, it would look like we don't love each other. Right. And you, it's like watching, you know, my, the first time my wife saw me and my dad, like get after each other. She's like, Oh my gosh, is this the end of your family? It's like, no, what are you talking about? We're going to go to lunch in like 10 minutes. She's like, this is crazy. Yeah, but that's how it is. Your dad is the real deal. I can I can attest yeah. that by meeting him in the coffee shop one day, and I he couldn't have been nicer. He's scary, yeah, greatest guy in the world. I was I was intimidated. I was more intimidated by Heather, but intimidated to say hello to him. You're like, sit down, like dad. This guy's Craig, and he's like, hey, we ended up talking for like an hour. Yeah, um, greatest guy ever. Got to meet your mom at Vineyard Day. I mean, I think you guys. There's something in the water there. Um, I don't even want to talk about the town because I don't want anybody else to move there until we do. <laughs> oh but, yeah. Um, so let's let's get get through some more of these. You're sure. on an airplane. Yep. The person next to you asks what you do for a living. Do you tell them the truth or do you make something up? Uh, I only I only lie on the beach chairs, which I think is funnier. I just make up some elaborate story. Um, I don't really do that. Like people when now and they go, "What do you do?" I I go, "Oh, farmer, and we make wine." And they go, "Really?" Because that's kind of weird. Right. And they go, "Yeah, I have Sorrowless and Sons." And the creepy part is like for my wife when, you know, because she's not really on Instagram or anything and people have like come up to her in grocery stores and like, excuse me, are you Heather? And she's like, yes, because you and I, like we're talking now, I've met billion of people coming through the tasting room. And then those people like me either follow me or do something and they see who my wife is. So my wife is like one step removed from this, you know? And, um, so when that happens, she's always, you know, always sweet and graceful and, and awesome. But she's like, that is kind of weird. Yeah. She's like, I got to know people by, by proxy. Cause, and they know the names of our kids. Right. And I'm like, that's, yeah, that's probably bad. Right. And she's like, yeah, but they are just a part of this, you know? So, yeah. Well, I there's we'll a just line of that because you never really know who's following you. But I, I mean, I have the same thing. You kind of worry about yeah. your kids and stuff, but you know, it happens. Um, favorite, my kids, my kids carry knives. They're cool. Yeah, exactly. Favorite band. Oh, favorite band. Like of all time. 
Okay, let's do it this way. This is the way I like oh, to do it. I don't know. Oh, this is good. So you get in, you're you're gonna drive to LA, but you're going with your kids. But let's say you're driving to LA by yourself sure. and you got an hour and a half to to listen to what do you want. What do you put in there right today? Doesn't have to be favorite band. What do you put in there today to listen to? I say put in like I'm an eighty year old man. What do you <laughs> what what disc what discette do I do I uh choose from the black portfolio? Um you know what? I, my taste kind of changed as I've gotten older a lot, but I still love old punk music. I just love it. Like I like no effects. I like uh, a lot of the old epitaph bands. And I think that's a product of, you know, the growing up in the, in the eighties and nineties right. where, um, you know, my kids like it now too. I love the beastie boys. I mean, it's, it's just right in the, the meat of all of it, but I think I like that because there was a point where, where you you didn't believe the world was going to be great. Right. That sounds like a weird, scary thing. But like my kids, I think are super optimistic, and I don't think I was as optimistic when I was their age. And I think like no effects and really good, you know, rancid and and um, even old New York punk bands were much more of the era of what I loved. Right. And um, and now I think that I've gotten older. Uh, you know, I always loved Johnny Cash. I named my son Cash after him, but more because of the duality of who he is that I, I recognize in myself. Um, but I like bands that are are like that, like what Johnny Cash did first. You know, he did the first kind of rap song with "Boy Named Sue," written by Shel Silverstein, which not a lot of people know. But uh, I like things where it's like you know, you can sing a song about. Uh, early one morning making the rounds and then the next song is a gospel song and i like bands that do that that maybe are you know have a hard edge to them but have a really important message that still needs to get out it's kind of like like our stupid winery you know or a skate shop that sells wine uh, but I, I i'm always impressed by that i'm always impressed when like with my wife when I, you think she's going to be one way but really she's the other yeah. And I love that. And I think that's that would be my music selections. Gotcha. All right. Somebody asked about your tattoos. Yeah. Okay. You have, I have them. <laughs> you have multiple tattoos? Because the question was kind of open-ended. Yeah. Ask him about his tattoos. So I figured there was something behind it. I, I think I have one that says Dutch. I have one that I drew. I have one that I got just super sketchy and then house is gnarly. And then I have, uh, I have the SS Co., the one that's on the hat. And I, I did that right when this place opened and um, ex- looks exactly the same. And uh, it was kind of this moment. That's another one of those things for me. It was like, I'm going to carry this thing. This is how much this is going to work right. that I'm going to put this on and I'm going to do this forever. And if not, you have a constant reminder of your failure. Absolutely. You know, there was it. Truthfully, it was like I was I was going to do and I still do. Why do I have a podcast? This is stupid. This doesn't sell wine, right? <laughs> but it's everything that I think of that could be great. Right. And that's what we continue, I think, to try to do. All right. When was the last time you cried? Oh, that's easy. I cry all the time. Um, like sad cry or happy cry? Either one. Sad cry is usually a sad story. So maybe yeah. a, happy, a good happy cry. Happy cry. Um, my my daughter is 
has been really training and working hard to sing because she had a goal to be a lead in uh, the Santa Barbara Youth Ensemble Theater. And she has, she has vocal coaching every week and uh, does multiple hour intensives. And now she's singing, she's Eponine from Les Mis. And I heard her sing her kind of solo. Mm. And I'm always, there are moments when things happen when you don't feel like you, you should be able to be a part of them. Right. And I feel like that with our labels a lot where something got some Providence guided my hand to do this at just the right way. Um, growing grapes, same thing, da, 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 but, but when you hear your child do something that is, cause Heather can sing amazingly, but to hear your daughter work for something and then open her mouth and, and something comes out of her that is, it's not, it's not air or sound but it is a part of her soul escaping through her mouth. It is absolutely one of the greatest moments uh, any parent can feel because I didn't do that. There is someone inside there that has things to say. And I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. I loved it. So that'd probably be the last time. All right. Um, going on to that. So I have three daughters. Yeah. You have one. And uh, one of the first questions I thought of, which made me laugh, because this is something I've been dealing with a little bit, not for any reason yet, because I'm not letting any of my kids get married. But have you thought about the speech you'll make at your daughter's wedding? Yeah, sure. I think everybody does. I think well, everybody does. Well, the only part of this, you know, I'll probably wing the speech, right. truthfully. And but the only part of it that I will always that I will say, or the theme of that speech is I don't care who my daughter marries. The only condition is that the person she marries has to love her more than I do. And that is, I would like to meet the person who does that. I pray for that person. I think about that person a lot. Yeah. Wait till she gets older and really starts dating. Yeah. I, I, but that's it, you know, and I, I, am I going to be, I'm, I'm the terrible dad that drops his daughter off right now and honks the horn and and me and cash just clown her every day yelling, we love you and all that kind of stuff. Right. Oh, that will, that will amplify to a unabsurd level when she's dating. And I have, I have friends. It'll be great. So I've got, I have a 25 year old, so I've gone through yeah. all this stuff and I, I can give you all kinds of great stories and things to do. It's the best. It's the most fun when a boy comes to that. Yeah, I can't wait. So, all right, we're almost at an hour here. Um, I'm going to, since this is my first foray into interviewing, I use yeah. my spiritual leader and my um, interview leader person and grab some questions. So first okay. one for my spiritual leader, Oprah. Yes. Who does. Super Isn't she all of everyone's spiritual yeah. leader for some, some extent? So she does Super Soul Sundays, which is one of my, I like to listen to it when I'm driving every so often, but she has. Oh, bitch. Is it a radio station? It's a podcast. I got to listen to it. Is it all soul music? It's No, it's called, no, it's not. It's called Super Soul Sunday. They inter, she interviews oh. people. Uh, I like soul music. Okay, I like soul no. food. Okay. So here's some of her questions that she asks. And okay, go. This is great. Life. What do you believe to be the purpose of life? Uh, 
the the purpose of life, I think, is you you have to choose either you want to be happy or you want to live with a sense of purpose. And I choose the sense of purpose. And I have come to find out that my purpose is to connect people, um, help them succeed even when I can't or more than I can, uh, help every chance I get, take the high road, and honor those that have come before me and prepare the way for those yet to come. Okay. What do you know for sure? There is a God. Okay. What is the secret to a happy life? To really have gone through some shit. I think that if you do not have your compass calibrated at some point in your life, uh, you will not be grateful, ridiculously, humbly grateful for anything you have in your life that is great. And I think you have to hit rock bottom. You have to come back from rock bottom. And when that happens, the scales fall from your eyes and you see how beautiful it is being outside. I take pictures of outside every day. I have, I have yet to be tired of looking at this place. Mm -hmm. Um, when you go through that stuff and you come through that, those are the things that make you, you know, it's, it's the, don't pray for an easy life, pray to be, to be strong enough to have a hard one. And I think not that I've had a hard life. I'm a, I'm a white male in America. I'm born on second base, you know? Um, but when you have gratitude, you know, things will give you gratitude. And that is the, my mom prayed that I would be humble. Right. And it, it was really hard and it worked and I am grateful and humble and I look at my kids and my wife and what I get to do with a, uh, like if we were just making wine, you know, I, why would I be here every day? Right. Who, who gives a shit? All right. So, um, I hope Oprah would have loved that. Oprah would have loved it. She'd have given you a high five. At both. I wonder if I got a car, you get a car and yeah, you get a, I'll car. Get a car. This one. All right. The great Bernard Pivot had these questions that James Lipton took for inside the actor's studio. <laughs> Are you going to read it like James Lipton? I wish do you have I, a card in front of you. Right I do have a card. in front. Of you. Um, what is your favorite word? Hustle. What is your least favorite word? Can't. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? Uh, not being good at things. I think uh, I'm an 86 percenter. We talk about that a lot, but I have a lot of friends that are 100 percenters at things that they have given their lives to. And when I get to go and I get to be a part of people that are 100 percent and I get to go do it with them, it is some of the greatest. I know how crappy at everything I am. Hmm. It's very humbling. It makes me want to be better. It removes that part of people at the DMV become upset and disgruntled with their job because you can't ask them a question they don't know the answer to. And that is what makes people not like their job. That makes them, I already know the answer. I already know what you're going to say. I'm going to answer before you need. That's, That's teenagerdom. 
and I do things I don't know what I'm doing 99.9% of the time. And that's the part of it that I get to do fun stuff with friends that are unbelievable at things. And I get to see how crappy I am. I mean, why do I why do I have a podcast? I'm not good at any of this, but I the first step at being pretty okay is like really sucking. Right. And then maybe I'll get good. And then maybe it's just another tool I have in a toolbox that I really enjoy doing and having fun with. And I am humbled yet once again. Like it. What turns you off? Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm turned off usually when people um, when people don't have the – oh, I know it turns me off. When people are pre-deserving or they feel they are in deserve, – they deserve something maybe by proxy or maybe by uh, – What's that? Oh, the word is entitlement. When people have a self, a sense of entitlement that has, that has become poison, you know, to me. Okay. Uh, we'll tell your mom to mute it for a second, but what's your favorite right. first word? Shit. Oh, hundred percent. She knows that. Everybody says shit. Shit's a great word. Yeah. Shit's easy. What sound do you love? I like my, the way my wife laughs at television. She, it's a very it's a very particular laugh and she doesn't laughs aren't she doesn't give them up easy you know like it, if something laughs i can hear it from the other room and i will smile every time okay what sound do you hate uh it used to be silence like i'm not good at i'm not good at being alone or i used to not be good at being alone and when things are quiet or when i was alone and by myself and i had to be with me, I didn't, I hated it. Yeah. And the older I get and the more I put myself out there with like stuff you've read or, you know, this is the book stuff. Um, I, I become, um, not self-aware is not the right word. Cause I think I've always been pretty self-aware, but now I think I'm, uh, understanding about my demons. I know my, I know their names. I know why they're like that. I know why I'm like that. I know what I have to do to appease them. Um, rather than just being in silence where they all yell at once kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I like, I need my family. I need my wife. I need my kids. I don't want to like this three day tour. We're going to LA. That's as, that's as long as I cannot be here but I'm also going to bring my wife and my kids with me because why would I not? You yeah. know? Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap it up with this one. If Ooh, this, this is, you've been waiting uh, this better. Just so you know, you've done on a side note, Craig. Yes. You've done a really great job. Oh, thank you. I hope good job, man. I mean, side note, but uh, I really, number one, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you. You really understanding what we do. And so, you know, once you get through that fourth layer of the, Oh, the wine's good. Oh, Hey, they're nice. Oh, this is cool. Oh, this is what this means. And you, you have done that, uh, deftly and, and quick more quickly and with more thought or you, you've verbalized what, what you found. I think 
more than anybody. And I, I truly am grateful to you for doing that. So I, I really not, I really appreciate this, but um, thanks for being the person that we, we make wine for, you know what I mean? I know there's, there are similar people to you, but that's, that's how my dad and I, that's how I view it. And that's how my dad views it when he's out in the vineyard. We're not, we're making this for specific people. And then there's other people that we'll get to know. Yeah. So. You guys are doing it right. And I think Thanks, man. to start, I think it was that you weren't a dick. Yeah. That's, that's, I think 90%. But my buddy, Jeff C says, uh, Keith Sarlos is one of the nicest people, you know, but he wants everybody to think he's a dick. Right. Where most people are dicks and they want everybody to think they're nice. Yeah, I, think <laughs> I think that's perfect. All right. Heaven exists. Yep. What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? A man after my own heart. Wow. That's, that's the one because I mean, uh, I have my own views of God and not, I, I will never be a person that presses, you know, uh, what I think other people should do. Hopefully I live a good life and people wonder what's different about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I am, uh, I am a Christian that does not like most Christians is a weird way to put it uh, right off the gate. And when I, when I look at, at uh, spirituality, I do think all roads lead to God. I think one has a finished bridge. Uh, but I think on the, on the very end, I think most people miss the point of the Bible and, or, or most religion in general, I, I can't imagine wars where people want to kill each other because of it. Um, but my final piece with that is, you know, Jesus hung out with a lot of people who, who drank well and are quick to pull knives and cut off cops ears. Mm-hmm. And I think that is much more of a reality of people I like and people I know. And if you're holier than thou, you're a shithead and you're kind of a dick. Yeah, well said. You're not the person that you're supposed to be, you know? And I think, not that we need to get on this religious tangent, but uh, maybe we're already there. Part two. Uh, Part two. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, how many years ago did we think that the world was, you know, the sun went around the earth? And it's only a few hundred years ago. And then we knew it was flat. And then we knew uh, the earth went around the sun. And now we have a Hubble telescope that shows us how many, uh, you know, how infinitesimal we actually are. And I think we are in the microbial stage of human existence. And I think there's a long, long way to go and a lot for us to understand before uh, we can make such – decrees about facts anymore. But I also image, I also think that faith is a very interesting word. And I have faith that the grapes will grow this year. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I have faith that will. And I have seen God show up so many times in my life that I, if I said there wasn't a God, I know I'd be a liar. Perfect. And I hope I show up and, he just says, you know, a man after my own heart is a good line. 
but it's just like you weren't a dick. I like it. It was almost like you had it prepared, but I wouldn't even send you the questions. But that's a great answer. I don't think I've yeah. heard that one from uh, from the actor's studio. No, I you know I I think that's weird. I I, th- I spent a lot of time. You know, it, this is a total side note. Maybe we'll cut it off before I start talking about this. But you know, I think a lot of the stuff we're fed. It goes back to your conspiracy question. I don't think a lot of people think for themselves, and I don't think people. People want to have pre-chewed food and uh, only listen to things that support their argument. And I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be wrong. I like the scientific method of life where, you know, prove this wrong and someone does and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm willing to totally change my opinion because of people to live that way. And that's the problem. Yeah. But I, I also think about my, when I look at my children, I don't see them doing that anymore. They, when, you know, when my parents grew up, television was telling you the truth. And then, you know, punk music in the 80s and 90s was like, nah, that's a lot of that's bullshit. All the stuff your parents told you is garbage, you know? And then coming back around the horn now, people are swayed because of a Facebook post of what they believe. Okay. Um, but now I see my kids like, they look, they look with a squint, you know, as, a squinted eye at pretty much anything anybody feeds them because what do they really want from me? What is this? You know, uh, what is the actual truth of all of this? And those are hard things to swallow. And it's, it's, it's also why I like want to be on, I'm on the school board of my school and I like my community and do things like that because I can't control the big stuff, but I like the small stuff a lot. Yeah. Well, I hope that everybody who listens like I did, got some, <laughs> got some more info out of this. Um, I, hope, I hope it didn't suck. Oh my gosh. Yeah, as long as we didn't suck, I think we're good. Hey, you know what? I think you did a good job. You did 10 times more research on all this stuff than I ever did. Well, it's a, Maybe you should host the show. It's going to be where the name changes tomorrow. Perfect. Yeah. The, this, is, this is your new gig. I like it. I'm quitting both my jobs. Perfect. I, I'll quit this one. I don't know if I could. Let's amortize it first. <laughs> yeah, let's do something. I, I definitely have to cut out the why I believe in God part of it. Maybe not. I don't know. You might want to cut that part out. I don't know. Yeah. Is it for, I'll let you listen to it first. And if you like it, then we'll keep it in. That's up to you. That's your call. No, that's, no, that's yours. You're, that's the, put, you're the audience. That's going to put you on a religious thing that you might not want to go down. But it wasn't bad. Yeah. Well, it's just kind of. Well, I think maybe that's good then. I Why should I? I probably shouldn't censor. If people listen all the way through, they're probably like. Oh, he's a Christian that doesn't that, that married two dudes together. Right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, why? It's like because I love these guys. Yeah, why wouldn't I marry two people who love each other? I'm gonna have to put something out there that if people have more questions to start sending them to me. Yeah, you. We can do that. I'll tell you what. Whenever you want to do this, and whenever you want to, whenever you have enough questions put together, I will 100% sit down and do this. This could be once a month. I don't care. All right, let's do That'd something. Be great. Let's figure out a way. What put on Instagram, and then we'll say if you have more questions, send them to, and you can put mine. You got it. Oh, perfect. I think it's fun. I think it's. I'll, fun. Hey, I'll make you a Craig at at sarlesonsons.com. Perfect, dude. I. It's funny, man. When you're talking, there are so many things that we have a similar awesome like uh, it's well, so great. hopefully that's everybody no i mean but like storylines and stuff it's so weird but yeah that's awesome i love it good but yeah we're coming down so we'll see you on the 11th or something like that in may so we're gonna wrap this up now so this has been keith sorrows craig you gotta say your whole name 
and your Instagram account that they can find you on. All right, it's Craig Sabolski, and you can find me on Instagram at CCI, B as in boy, U L S K Y. Or if you scroll through Keith's Instagram <laughs> and you're wearing a shirt with Keith's face on it, there I am. Perfect. So, everyone, this is Keith Sarlos and Craig. And we number one, we thank you for listening. Number two, I hope you uh, enjoyed it when I went off the deep end there for a couple of minutes. And uh, I hope you enjoy this. If you have questions or you would like to be on and, you know, finish the bottle with Keith Sarlos, and maybe maybe Craig's taking this over, uh, drop me a line. Keith at sarlosandsons.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy your day. Honor and prepare, everybody.